And as they're coming up, just a quick reminder to our high school graduates and families of high school graduates to RSVP. We have the information in the bulletin, but we're going to have a time of honoring our high school graduates next Sunday. And so please make note of that. Uh, no, either one is great. Yeah. So John leads our Israel Mandate ministry here at IHOPKC, and I just asked him to come up and uh, just tell us a little bit about Dan. You guys have been friends for years, and uh, just brag on him a little bit. Yeah, no, and that's easy to do. We are very thankful he's here. You heard Mike just share about, you know, he goes back 35 years. Um, Dan is a, is a scholar. Dan is a theologian. Um, Dan might be the only one I know that can chase Mike down in terms of the amount of Zoom connections that he's involved with. Because uh, Dan is connected all over the earth on behalf of the Messianic movement and is interacting in all sorts of different environments. Fascinating. And so we just, you know, I want to commend him to you as he comes to share. But it's more than just that he's a gifted theologian and an incredible Messianic leader. He's a friend of this house. He loves this place. We love him. Uh, Patty and Dan um, are, are literally, they're friends. They care about me. They interact with me. It's always a joy to see them again. And so the whole dynamic that he loves this place is just really, it's special for us. It's, it's meaningful for us. We think it's, it's the Lord. And, and so, so thankful for you. you so no, yeah, I have <laughs> so appreciated getting to know you, Dan. Uh, we had coffee together and such a father I so appreciate his heart for truth. Every time I'm around you, I learn about 10 new things. I'm just taking either mental notes or writing things down as you're talking. And, you know, we had talked and, and you know, we came up with this idea like, hey, why don't you come speak at Forerunner Church? Give us some keys. Give us some, uh, uh, some insight into the purposes of God that the Lord has for Israel because this house has such a firm commitment to stand for God's purposes, to stand with our friends and the Messianic community and in the nations of the earth contending for God's purposes. And so I am just so overjoyed. And you are so funny in this dry way that I love so much. I just really love dry humor. So anyway, I just appreciate that about you. Amen. Well, let's pray just a moment for Dan here, 30 seconds. Father, we thank you for your servant. We thank you, Lord, for how he is standing for your purposes, how he is seeing the next generation raised up and equipped, and equipped with understanding and equipped with a heart for your purposes for the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. We ask for a spirit of revelation to come, that you would open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. Well, thank you so much, John Isaac. So glad to be with you from Jerusalem. And... Um, our schedule is uh, Patty and I together to be in the United States only three months a year. We're nine months a year based in Jerusalem and uh, from Jerusalem we go out and travel to some of the nations but that's our base, that's where we're invested in building and so we want you to be praying for us. We're working on a new Bible school, uh, theological school in Jerusalem and Haifa, connecting to the one in Haifa redoing that. We're working on a congregational network. There are just so many things happening with us, even in our senior years, but with younger leaders taking the ball and running with it as we're mentoring them to be the leaders of the future and what we're doing in the land of Israel. You know, I could spend most of my time just telling stories about the connection to IHOP and the connection to uh, the original Kansas City Fellowship and this particular location. 
It was uh, 30, over 30 years ago that we had the first Israel Mandate Conference. I was preaching in this room 30 years ago. So this is like coming home. It's kind of amazing. Uh, there were signs and wonders in the heavens at that conference. It, some unbelievable stories I could tell you. And you'd probably enjoy the stories more than what I'm going to preach, I guess. Because we all love stories. But the Lord supernaturally connected us to Kansas City Fellowship at that time, to Mike Bickle. Uh, it's a wonderful story of how our teams became connected, not just me, but we brought our team here. And uh, here we are, believing that we're closer than ever to the fulfillment of what we most desired. Tikkun International, Tikkun Global, that's the name of the ministry that we're all in together. And uh, we'd love you to be on our mailing list. You can sign up by just going to Tikkun TV, tikkun.tv. Uh, I'm trying to get people to be responsible to do this by the Internet and not hand out cards. We do have cards and sign-up sheets on the table. We have our book table back there. We have all sorts of amazing books from different ones of our team. I have my books out there on the last days in eschatology. Our book, Israel, the Church in the Last Days, was what originally connected us in terms of content to Mike Bickle because he said, wow, you teach and believe the same thing that I do. Uh, and we should be connected. And there were prophets here in those days, Bob Jones, others, saying this is the group that we should be partnering with. So it was a, a supernatural connection. So the books are out there. If you want to connect to our ministry, you can uh, uh, find us on Tikkun TV or put in your search engine, Restoration from Zion. Restoration from Zion, that's the name of the ministry for Patty and I and my son's ministry, which is focused, uh, the part of his ministry focused in Israel. But we've been connected for a lot of years, and um, it's been a wonderful journey together, and still is, and there's a lot more to come from it. I want to speak today about passion for Israel. Oh, but do stop at the book table, please. I want to speak about passion for Israel today. And that all of us are, to, as we're moving into the last days, more and more to the last of the last days, that we're all called to develop a passion for Israel's salvation, that she would fulfill her role as a key instrument in world redemption. Without Israel fulfilling that role in world redemption, we don't get to the ultimate fulfillment. We get to that ultimate fulfillment of the return of the Lord and the age to come together only when Israel fulfills that point of redemptive instrumentality in history. And so we, the church, the body of believers, I'm both part of Israel, Jewish believer, I'm Jewish, I'm part of the Jewish people, and part of the church. We, the church, have to fulfill that vision by helping to carry Israel over the finish line. And that's a big, big part of it. If you like the Lord of the Rings, the church is kind of like Sam, who carries Frodo over the finish line in that movie. Do you remember that? So uh, think of the church as Sam, and think of the Messianic movement as Frodo, and we're kind of conflicted and just like him in so many ways. Anyway, the Hebrew scriptures are in unity, in unity, and they repeat this over and over again, and emphasize that there is coming a time of world upheaval, a time of intervention in 
by the Lord, a time of darkness, a time of battle between good and evil, where, ba- where the battle between good and evil comes to its ultimate climax. Are you all aware that the Hebrew scriptures teach that? You know, great darkness will cover the earth, Isaiah 60, but the Lord will arise upon you. Enter into your rooms and hide yourself for a little while until the indignation is past, for the Lord is about to come and judge all the evil on the earth. Isaiah chapter 25 to 27 are great chapters on that. Uh, Joel chapter uh, 3, and uh, you know where we see everybody in the uh, time of decision, in the valley of decision, as the clash of the nations comes to a climax. Zechariah chapter 12 and 14. It's just again and again. So by the time Jesus came, Yeshua, we call him, the Jewish religious leadership that believed in the prophets, and by the way, not all of them did. The Sadducees didn't believe in the prophets as authoritative. But the Pharisees and the Essenes, those that believed in the prophets, believed there was coming this great time of upheaval, and then God would intervene. And if you want to understand the New Testament, it's important to understand that the Pharisees, who are prominent figures on the pages of the New Testament, and the Essenes, who you don't read much about, they're there a little bit, but you've heard about the Essenes and the Dead Sea Scrolls that they preserved, and that they were more monastic Jewish communities, super purists. But the Pharisees and the Essenes were involved in what I call an eschatological program. They believed they were to live in such a way that they would hasten the day of the Lord, hasten the day of his coming, and that they would bring about this ultimate battle, ultimate leading to Israel's deliverance, and ultimate leading to the redemption of the world. And the Pharisees and the Essenes had as their eschatological project to live a holy life. They believed if they lived holy enough, the Messiah would come, the great battle would ensue, and that they would win. But they defined holiness in terms of legal prescriptions and details that even at that time, before the Talmud was written, before the Mishnah, they described holiness in terms of legal details almost to a level that is mind-boggling. And Yeshua came into clash with that orientation of holiness. Oh, they agreed to not commit adultery, to not steal, that you had to keep the basic uh, standards of the Torah. But the clash was largely over these legal prescriptions and details and minutia. And uh, it it didn't just come about later, you know, in in later Jewish history. You can read about it in uh, Instone Brewer's books on rabbinic Judaism in the time of Jesus, very important books that show what it was like. And you can see what Yeshua was up against. Uh, when he came into this clash. Instead, Jesus brought a different orientation to how we were going to bring the world to the climax of God's intervention. And you can understand that we have the Messianic Jewish Jesus program over against the Pharisaic Essene programs in the first century. And, And I'm going to share with you what the program of Jesus is and Paul, and we put Jesus and Paul together because from Jesus and Paul, we get an understanding of God's program where we are to invest our lives to hasten the day of his coming to bring history to the climax of the return of the Lord. Everybody want to see the return of the Lord? 
All right. I do. I'm a young man now. How old am I, Patty? 40? Have I hit 40 yet? I was in my 40s when I came here to meet Mike Bickle, young 40s at that time. I'm like Jack Benny. That, that, that shows my age. You know, I never age, just like Jack Benny. He stayed the same age every year, right? But as I get older, I want to see the return of the Lord more than ever. I want to see all the pain end. I want to see all the war end. I want to see tears wiped away from all lies, all, all suffering end. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess we should say it's a good thing because it's God's purpose, we're going to have to go through some really difficult times to get there. And Mike has been brilliantly teaching on the last days in detail here at IHOP and Forerunner Church. And I've been connected to those teachings, following along with what he's teaching. We're basically in accord with every major thing. But I did not understand the program of Jesus as a young Messianic Jewish Presbyterian pastor 40 years ago. I knew that it was important to get Jewish people saved, and we had created a Messianic congregation, and we were successful in two Messianic Jewish congregations at that point. And then over 40 years ago, at a time of devotion with the Lord, you know, you have those times where it feels like God especially shows up. He gave me a scriptural download on how these things were going to develop, and all these scriptures that I had never put together before that were over my head came together for me in a wonderful way. Now, whenever you think you got a revelation from the Holy Spirit as to what the scripture means, you've got to go back to the scripture and prove that that is really what it's saying in context. Don't just run with it because you had an exciting feeling about what you thought was an insight. I always tell people they have to go back and prove it in the word itself. Is that really there? Or am I just imagining something? Wow, that is really there. And so at a time where the Lord was speaking to me about my life and my purpose, and I knew that, that, that the Jewish people would call upon the Lord at the end of the age, just as I knew this, and that that was important, and that the Messianic Jewish movement was part of preparing the Jewish people to call on Jesus for his return. I had that part. But the part that I didn't have was the restoration of the church. I had never heard of the idea of the restoration of the church. And so one day in quiet time, I had just heard about the restoration of the church. I didn't know what it was. Somebody spoke this to me, said, do you believe in that? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I was having devotions with the Lord, and the Lord spoke, and he said, I will restore my church. I will restore it to unity, to power, and to complete the work that I have given it to do, and I will have a church on this earth that will complete the work of world evangelism and will provoke Israel to jealousy and will lead to the second coming of the Lord. And that church will be led by mighty apostles and prophets that will be leading the church into these last days of battle and victory. Now, I was undone when I heard this. I didn't know anybody ever taught this before. 
I hadn't met Mike Bickle yet. I didn't know, having gone through eight years of Christian higher education, Wheaton College, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, then a liberal school, I was never taught that in church history, and I studied church history, that what I received in Revelation that day was something that many of the Puritans believed in the 1600s. I did not know that it was something believed by the Lutheran pietists in the 1700s. I didn't know that these things were believed by Zinzendorf at Hernhut. You have the Hernhut apartments here. They were believed by Zinzendorf in the 1700s and embraced by the Wesleyans and were embraced by Anglicans that were renewed in the 19th century. I didn't know that. I just thought I was the only one in the world that had ever seen this before. My education was blind to this important history. I don't know why. And I, I didn't have language for this until I went to Norway in the early 90s and sat down with one of the leading Lutheran theologians in Norway. His name is Oscar Skarsene, a real believer. We say in Norwegian, I have Norwegian roots too, Skarsene. Norwegians always speak with a little bit of a musical lilt in their voice, you know. And uh, he, he had a book that actually outlined this, and he gave me the words, pillars. He talked about the four pillars that came out of the Lutheran pietists and the Moravians that had roots in the, in the Puritans. And this is all written in Norwegian. I have the book. It's in Norwegian. So I tried to get it translated with a publisher, and they wouldn't do it. The pillars... I have five, he had four, and I'm going to talk to you about the five pillars. But the five pillars that the Lord revealed to me are five commitments that we have to make, five goals that we have to seek, or five areas where we need to be aligned with God and his purposes. I'm not saying we bring this about, God brings it about, but we have to be part of the responsibility of yielding to God to bring this about. And I feel that the Lord has charged me wherever I go to speak about these five pillars. So I'm going to speak about this, or five goals, five commitments, five tasks, beginning with Matthew chapter 24, if you would turn there. Matthew chapter 24. And by the way, this is a two-part message. So the second part is going to add more detail about the Israel mandate peace. But in Matthew chapter 24, 14, and by the way, if you don't know anything else about the last days and you know these five pillars or five goals, you've got basically what you need to know. This good news of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The end of this age... The day of the Lord, the mighty intervention. These words, and the end will come. These words were fraught with much more meaning that can be expanded than most people understand when they read, then the end will come. It's the end of this age. It's the intervention of God. It's the day of God. It's the day of the Lord. It's his intervention and mighty judgment on the wicked and the deliverance of his people. That end will come only when 
the gospel of the kingdom has been preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, that every nation has to be given an adequate testimony. The testimony of the gospel of the kingdom is that you are invited into the kingdom of God and to live in and from it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you enter into that through the door, the death and resurrection of Jesus, through which you are identified. It's not just about saying a prayer and going to heaven. It's entering into the kingdom. And it's a gospel of power and signs and wonders. Bill Johnson made the wonderful statement in one of our Zoom calls that he felt that it was his responsibility as far as he could understand it to see that every person had a testimony of the Lord sufficient to the text about Sodom and Gomorrah that had Sodom and Gomorrah heard the things that were spoken in Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin, that they would have repented. He said, I want to give the testimony to the nations at a level where they have no excuse. A testimony of love, a testimony of signs and wonders. This gospel of the kingdom, this power gospel, the gospel that was preached in the first century by the apostles, this special Gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world as a witness. Then the end will come. The second thing that has to happen is that Israel must be made jealous. In Matthew chapter 23, just one chapter before, Jesus says in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets uh, and uh, and stones those sent to her, how often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house has left you desolate, for I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If Israel does not see him until Jerusalem cries out and says to Jesus, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Guess what? Nobody else will see either. This is why it says in the Catholic Catechism, the Roman Catholic Catechism, paragraph 674, that all of history is hanging, waiting for that moment when his ancient people confess him because only when his ancient people, the elect Jewish people, confess Jesus will he return And will all of our hopes be fulfilled? Can you believe that that's in the Roman Catholic Catechism? How much more at IHOP, which has the Israel mandate, be passionate about this thing? The amazing thing is that in Romans chapter 11, Paul says these two purposes of the gospel of the kingdom going to the nations and Israel being saved are intertwined and they are together. And so he says in Romans 11, 11, I say then, did they not stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Did they? May it never be, but by their false step, salvation has come to the Gentiles, the nations, for the purpose of making them jealous. This is an amazing thing. We usually don't think of world missions 
as having for its purpose to make Israel jealous. But Paul sees, in terms of the program, remember we're contrasting it to the Pharisees and the Essenes, the key program that we need to see the second coming is that the gospel must go to the nations, but part of that program is it must reflect back upon the Jewish people to make them jealous. Jealous means to desire what they see in the church. And if you look at church history, boy, have we yet missed this. The church has not made the Jewish people jealous for what they have. They've made the church, the church the way it's been has made the Jewish people angry, bitter, enraged at what has happened sometimes through the institutional church. But it's going to be different at the end, isn't it? And we're part of that church that's going to be a shining light to the Jewish people of the love of God and his love for Israel. Amen? So he then goes on to say, now if their transgression leads to riches for the world and their loss means riches for the nations, how much more their fullness? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Insofar as I'm emissary to the Gentiles, I magnify or spotlight my ministry, the ministry of power, of signs and wonders, of love and reconciliation. I magnify it. If I somehow might provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood and save some of them. For if their rejection leads to the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And this is what a lot of the Christian Zionists miss. They're pro-Israel. But they don't see that in Paul's heart, an expanding saved remnant of Israel is part of the key to the salvation of Israel. You can't just have the church making Israel jealous. You've got to have that expanding saved remnant of Israel in the midst of Israel as part of the witness to Israel and to save a part of Israel, a growing part of Israel. That's a key part of this picture. You see this in in, uh, Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14 where we talk about the 144,000 Jewish believers. It actually might be many, many more than that. Depends on how literal you take it that these are all men that are virgins. Now, if you actually had 144,000 virgin men, that would be one of the greatest miracles in all of history. But I don't know. You have to look at, is it talking about their holiness or literally that they're not married? Or is it the Jewish people, 144,000? I'm not worried about it. I'm just saying there is a large saved remnant of Israel that's part of world witness to the gospel with the rest of the church and part of witness to Israel in the end. So we've got to be concerned about Israel being made jealous and seeing a growing number of Jewish people saved. It's a key thing. Now, we cannot have, this is pillar number three, or goal number three, we cannot see Israel made jealous, we cannot see these purposes fulfilled unless we see revival in the church. If you study church history, the great thrust forward in world missions oftentimes came from an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Are you aware of that? 
And the Puritans and the Pietists believed that there was going to be one great last outpouring before the return of the Lord to complete the work of world evangelism and making, Jesus, uh, and making Jewish people jealous. Why do we believe in this one great outpouring? Because to the best of our knowledge and with the best of scholarship interpreting Acts chapter 2, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was a partial fulfillment. It was an already not yet thing. Because what Peter says did not literally come true. It was an installment. It shall be in the last days, uh, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision and your old men dream dreams. And even on my slaves, male and female, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I will give wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood, fire, and smoky vapor. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. This comes before the final day of the Lord and mighty intervention and judgment and salvation for his people. That day of the Lord has not yet come, not in its ultimate and the mighty outpouring of the Spirit on all flesh has not yet come. It came on Jewish flesh and proselytes in Jerusalem, thousands of people. But this mighty outpouring, it looks like a worldwide thing here, on all flesh that will happen before the day of the Lord. So many people have interpreted this chapter as something that is yet to happen in the most extraordinary way. So revival is the key to completing the work of world evangelism and is the key to making Israel jealous. But you know what? If you're going to have revival, there's a fourth pillar, and that is unity. In John chapter 17, revival and unity come together. It's a, it's a chicken and an egg problem. Do you first get unity or do you first get revival and that brings unity? Well, sometimes in the history of the church, revival brought a lot of division. But if you look at the history of revivals, there was a group that came into unity praying for it that led to the revival, but then the revival sometimes led to new unity. Ultimately, we need to see as much unity as we can see to pray for as much revival as we can see. And when we experience revival, we should want more revival, and therefore we should seek more unity to have more revival. Listen to what Jesus prayed. Verse 20, I pray, John 17, 20, I pray not on behalf of these only, but for those who believe in me through their message. Who's that? That's you, that's me. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you so that they may be one in us so that the world might believe that you sent me. The key to completing the work of world evangelism, to seeing the kingdom of God come all over the world at the return of the Lord is the unity of the church. Not the unity of the ecumenical, compromising church, but the unity of the true church. There will be before the Lord returns, a world church 
a true church that can be seen, that is sufficiently visible, that is in unity, and it will stand over against a false church that is in a false unity. Don't think that believing in the unity of the church means that we're going to have kind of an ecumenical kumbaya of anything you believe is all right. We're talking about a godly unity. Sanctify them in thy truth, Jesus says in John 17. Thy word is truth. We're talking about a unity in holiness and doctrinal correctness and purity. And when we come into that unity that's connected to revivals, the world is going to come to faith after the judgments, after terrible times, and completing the work of world missions. That they may be made perfect in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. And then he says that he wants us to be with him where he is. Now, we can experience being with him where he is sometimes in revivals, but ultimately, the ultimate being with him and where he is is in the return of the Lord. So this passage leads to the return of the Lord. Some commentators call this chapter the eschatological prayer of Jesus, the prayer about the last days. That's kind of interesting. So here we have the gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world as a witness. That is a key to Israel being saved, being made jealous. The key to that is having revival worldwide. The key to revival is unity, or the key to unity is revival. That's the fourth. But the fifth was the one that God showed me that was extraordinary, for which we really must pray. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He himself gave some to be prophets or emissaries, excuse me, some to be apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry or service, building up of the body of the Messiah. This will continue, this will continue, fivefold ministry will continue, good translation here, this will continue until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature adulthood to the measure of the stature of Messiah's fullness. We're coming to a period in church history where through the fivefold ministry, but led by apostles and prophets, we will come into a place that he calls Mature adulthood, the measure of the stature of Messiah's fullness. We're not there yet. We are going to enter into a measure of the stature of Messiah's fullness. That will be our measure. And he, he connects this to the purpose of the leadership of the church. So when the Lord showed me this over 40 years ago, I knew we had to pray for God to raise up a leadership that was passionate about the unity of the church. Passionate about revival, passionate about world missions, and passionate about making Israel jealous. God, raise up a leadership that shares this. What's the condition of the leadership of the church in America? 
There are some leaders that are right here. This is their passion. This is the passion of Mike Bickle. It's why we're connected. It's the passion of the IHOP work. They pray for it. It's the passion of Forerunner Church. The purpose of leadership is to bring maturity to Christians and to bring them into the fullness of unity and maturity and to see the return of the Lord. Now, when the Lord showed me this 40 years ago, I was undone, completely rearranged, changed my direction in ministry, and the first person I told about this time of revelation was Asher and Trader. Asher, I had a time with the Lord. i got to share it with you. And he got very excited about it, and he's walked with me in this vision for over 40 years. Now, the vision has been clarified, like I said, as I studied church history and I studied others. It's been amazing to see that the key to the last days is not knowing all the details of what's going to happen. It's fine to know those details as much as we can. But it's to give ourselves to these five goals. The gospel of the kingdom preached in all the world as a witness. And that begins with your being empowered to bring people into the kingdom of God right here in this city. Having a heart for Israel, longing for Israel to be made jealous, longing for the gospel to be effective in the Jewish people, longing for the numbers of Jewish people who believe in Jesus to grow, that the saved remnant of Israel in Israel would come to that 144,000. Desiring it, hungering for it. In the second service, I'm going to give a little bit more information on Israel and how to have that heart that can be effective in prayer and care and witness for Jewish people. And then caring about revival, crying out for it, knowing that without it we are undone, that we cannot attain our calling, that we cannot see our destiny come about, that we must have revival and that we will not be denied. It's what we're believing for in Jerusalem. Pray for it every day. God, pour out your spirit on us. Bring revival. And then praying for unity and praying for the unity of the church and then praying, God, raise up a leader, a leadership whose purpose is your kingdom, not their old kingdom. When Paul Cain got up in 1989 at the conference in Anaheim where I first met Mike Bickle, he said that in the last days, God was going to raise up a leadership. Boy, how this fit. That we're not going to be God's men of power for the hour. But we're going to be humble servants of the kingdom of God. And it was going to be the kind of leadership that would lead to revival and the fulfillment of God's purposes on earth so that men and women would arise who were not building their own kingdoms and their massive works, but they would arise to bring about God's purposes on this earth in a humble servanthood way. And I'm glad to say that we know more and more leaders like that. We know one leader of a massive big church who's going along building an effective kingdom and he had a download from the Lord, and he was undone. And in that download, he was given a large part of what I prayed to, uh, preached about today, these five pillars. And he's completely changed the direction 
of his work. Massive megachurch, and we're very connected to him now. God can do this. He can bring it about. Are you with me? So let's, let's all stand up and pray and give ourselves, let's be a five pillars people or five goals, five tasks. Let's know that this is what we're about, that we want to be effective in all five of these. Father, we thank you and pray to you that you would bring about your purposes on this earth. We sense that we are moving into the last days, but we want to be moving into the last days with power and victory and glory, effectiveness and humility. That you would bring about the completion of the task of the church so that we might see the very return of the Lord from glory. That we would see that mighty revelation of his return and that we might see the end of all suffering, that all tears would be wiped away that we would see the kingdom of God established on this earth with Jesus enthroned in Jerusalem over redeemed Israel, and that, Lord, you would bring it about. May it happen even in our days, even those of us that are older. Yes, I know our children and grandchildren are important as part of this, but, Lord, we pray that we could see the glory of the Lord at levels that we have hardly ever imagined. In Jesus' name. Dedicate your life to this, folks. This is what we're all called to. This is the charge of Jesus to his church. Every individual has to carry this world purpose. Amen. Don't forget the book table. We have a lot of teaching on these things. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletters. Tikkun.tv, Restoration from Zion. God bless you all. So glad to be home. This is my, one of my homes. So glad to be home with you. Amen. to us as a spiritual family we worship you lord we love you jesus lord bless our families bless this community connect our hearts into your storyline of what you're doing bless dan and patty and tikkun ministries and asher and the many leaders 
within the Messianic congregations. We love you, Jesus. Feel free to hang out just for a few moments and worship the Lord, or if you need to go get your children from the children's ministry, be released to do that. Also, Dan mentioned it, but he has a product table over in the Welcome Center over there. We wanna encourage you to go check that out before you leave and sign up for their newsletter. Amen. Yeah. 